Thanks for listening to the Highlands Highfields Message Podcast. Whether you're new to Highlands and are listening for the first time or you want to hear a past message again, welcome. Our heart at Highlands is to lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus so you can have a life full of purpose as you grow in your faith and lead others to Jesus. We hope you enjoy and are inspired by the latest message from one of our communicators. Thank you so much. So great to be here. It's good to see your handsome faces. And I thank you for not making it too cold this morning. We were in orange last week or the week before. It was minus three. Minus three. Beautiful weekend, apparently. Um, It is a great joy for myself to be able to kick off this series called Mind Monsters. And um, I want to take this, because this is the first one, isn't it? The first cab off the rank, so to speak. So I'm going to ruin it for everyone else. And I'm going to take a little bit of a a right-hand turn here. And I want to get, uh, probably talk a little bit from my life, my own experience. But I know this, when I've had my own struggles in my thinking, people telling me, just settle down. Don't worry about it. Can you be more positive? It just doesn't work. I don't know whether you've ever, guys, this is a tip for marriage, if your wife is anxious over something and said, don't worry about it, it ends with a very cold, lonely night for yourself. Um, Because what we are worried about is very real to us. And if you've been a follower of Jesus for any amount of time, there's no doubt that you would have heard a plethora of messages on controlling your mind, you know, taking every thought captive. Uh, pulling down the strongholds. And I I come from the era in the 80s where we were taught to do uh, faith affirmations. And our then senior pastor would would make us all carry a mirror with us so we could look in the mirror and say to ourselves, you know, God sees you as a mighty man. If you're a woman, you're a mighty woman. I can say that. That's okay up here? Okay. And uh, every now and then we'd draw lips on people's mirrors just to tease them. I come from that era where you pray through, where you have faith, not feelings, where you take every thought captive. But here's the truth. In 2020, I burnt out. And everything I knew didn't seem to work. And I found myself in a place where, where these intrusive squatters were, of thoughts were taking up residence in my mind and in my body that it took a long time to free myself from and to get back into a place of health. And so I want to be able to talk to us this morning from that position. What I discovered and what helped me find my way back, and it may be a little bit different to what you're expecting, but I think and I believe it will be very, very helpful. Talking to Kev quickly this morning when we had the meet and greet, uh, you could relate to this, Kev. One day I was installing an electric fence. And I set up the Gallagher's electric fence unit and, and put in all the fence line, turned it on, but the, there was no charge in the wire itself. So all the cows were just, you know, doing their thing and pushing it over. And I thought, something's wrong, so I checked it all again and I still couldn't get it working. Disconnected the unit, took it into the rural store where we bought it from, and within two minutes they pulled off the cover only to tell me that I hadn't connected the battery. You know, the battery source inside was still disconnected. And as clear as anything, when I'm driving back with the reconnected electric fence unit, I felt in my heart God say to me, that's exactly where you're at right now. All the sunlight that that charger needed was available, but there was a disconnect on the inside. 
And I would have people telling me, Ross, you know, everything's going good for you. Be happy, be positive. But I was sad. People would say to me, hey, listen to Bethel music 24-7 and you'll be better. But I don't like Bethel music and it wasn't helping me. <laughs> Nothing wrong with it, just not my... People would say to me, recite these scriptures over and over again. And then you're going to get better on the inside. And I would start reciting them and it was like eating dry muesli because there was a disconnect inside. And this is what Paul spoke to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. And it said this, For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for His glory. So what Paul is saying is that every promise God has already said yes to. And the promise still needs our amen. And so what Jesus is looking for is our agreement, not our assessment. And where I struggled was, I couldn't find my amen. No matter how many podcasts I listened to, no matter how many books I read, I just couldn't get in my heart the agreement that this is how God sees me. And I don't know, as Murray said before, where you're at this morning. But knowing the state of our nation, every single one of us in this room, if it's not us, we know someone close to us who is having a wrestle with intrusive thoughts and squatters that take up residence in their minds and in their heart. And so maybe this morning can help them a little bit. Seth Godin said this, people don't believe what you tell them. They rarely believe what you show them. They often believe what their friends tell them. They always believe what they tell themselves. Paul goes on to write in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, again, a message, a verse that's been preached so many times. It says this, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. You will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And now more than ever, I think his church needs to know how good and pleasing God's thoughts are toward us. That God does not look at you and I with a pursed lips or a scowl on his face. He doesn't give us the look that maybe some of our earthly fathers gave us, a look of disappointment. He looks at each and every one of us with looks of joy and hope. And Paul says here, by changing the way we think, we can apprehend God's will for our life. So let me show you a photo of the limbic system of your brain. Now, I am not a psychologist. I am a therapist, but I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a GP. So if you are a GP here, humor me, okay? Under your breath you can go, rubbish, rubbish, hypocrite. Um... But this is what I've learned through my studies in therapy, that all of us have a limbic system. And in your limbic system is basically the emotional part of your brain. A part of that is the amygdala. The amygdala has one job in life, and that is to set off the alarm in your body to tell you that something is wrong. Case in point, I have, next photo please, uh, Mitch, my horse called Cash. 
Stunning, isn't he? That, that was when he took a photo of the Vogue magazine and uh, put on his best little cross-legged look right there. And uh, I've had him for about three and a half years and uh, got writing lessons three years ago and was out riding him one day. I'd only been riding for probably less than a month with a friend of mine. We were going to, you'll like this, Kev, we were going to round up and play with a bit of, a few cattle. And inexperienced, at that stage I was 54 years of age, never been around horses. So what do you do when you don't know a lot about horses? You go on Gumtree and buy one, which is what I did. And this was him. And we called him Cash because that's all they take from the moment you buy a horse is cash. Keep them funded. You've got to fund their lifestyle. So we're out riding and we're playing with his cattle. And what I didn't see were there were two cows in this little dam behind us that came jumping out toward my horse. Now, for those that know horses, horses have, uh, they're a prey animal. So they're always thinking someone's going to eat me, which is why they can be walking along. They can see a rubbish bin. They will jump. They will run. They'll go, that bin is after me. It's got teeth. I know it. They're always thinking that something is trying to kill them. So in a flash, my horse with me on it goes from standing still to a gallop. And I learned there and then that woo doesn't stop a galloping horse. It did on the movies, Kev. The movies show it. Woo, yeah. I learned then and there. So at a gallop on a 16.1 hand horse, and he is fast, I had to look for the softest bit of grass to throw myself off. After skidding for several meters and looking at my body to see there's no protruding bones, I got back up and eventually got back on him. But here's the deal. When, my, when that horse bolted, my amygdala, which is in my limbic system, went on high alert. And it was going, you're going to die. Simple as that, you are going to die. Now here's the challenge, if we go back to the photo uh, Mitch, of the brain. At the front of our brain is our prefrontal cortex, which is the reasoning part. It's the part where we make decisions out of. The prefrontal cortex doesn't mature till you're 25. Which is why it makes sense now when I used to, my parents used to say to me, I used to say to my son, don't you have a brain? No, they don't. Not until they're 25. So, this part isn't fully matured, but even when it is fully matured, it is the last part to come online when the amygdala is flashing alert. So the amygdala is telling me, you've got to go. Now, note this, the amygdala in the limbic system is connected to the brain stem, which then is the pipeline for your whole nervous system into your body. So not only do you have an alarm going off here, that alarm is being sent right through your whole body. And when the amygdala goes off, it pumps, uh, 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 or the limbic system pumps cortisol through your body. There's adrenaline pumping through our body. So we've got all this happening in our body. And the beautiful thing about the limbic system, it not only sets off the alarm, but it stores in a filing cabinet, not just what you thought, but how you felt. Move forward three years. Every time I take my horse out for a ride, every time, guess what I've got to wrestle with? Not the thought, because he's never done it since, Kev, never. Beautiful horse, well behaved, never bolted since. 
But every time I go to get on, and guess what's happening inside of me? I've got this churning feeling that is exactly the same feeling I felt three years ago. And it's alive in my stomach. Thus we have today generations of people who have got alarms going off in them physically and we're trying to resolve them mentally. Here's what I've learnt. You cannot think your way out of a feeling problem. And this morning, I don't want, as I was, feeling frustrated by a guest speaker just telling you to take captive that negative thought. I tried, but the more I chased it, it just ran away. It just hid in different parts of my mind. I couldn't get on top of it until I realized. And when you, when you, when you get this, when you see this, and I'll bring it all back to Scripture as, as we walk through this, but when I say to you or you say to me, I'm hang angry, let me ask you, where do you feel that anger? Do you feel it up here? Or do you feel it somewhere down in here? When you say, I'm anxious, where do you feel that anxiety? Is it something that you're feeling up here? Or is it your, your heart is pumping, your, 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 your breath is shallow, your palms are sweaty? I would say most of us, when we slow down enough to recognize, actually are identifying something that's not up here, but it's somewhere down here. When you get hurt by someone or offended by someone and you see them, where do you feel it? You don't just think offense. Man, you feel it. You feel your whole body start to freeze up when you see them. You feel your fist clench. The middle finger about to pop out and give a rude signal. Oh, I can't do that. I'm a pastor. And when you understand about the brain, the way the brain works, and, and Luki, uh, Luki, Nikki Nusifora will talk a little bit about this again next week, you'll understand that the way God has made us is absolutely magnificent. And so when Paul says, but let God transform you into, uh, into a new person by the way you think. And this is why when I burnt out in 2020, I went to a therapist, first time in my life I'd ever been to one, and I sat and week after week, he's talking to me, talking to me, talking to me, giving me handouts on how I can control my thinking. Some of it was great, but he laid the problem. I would say thank you, I'd pay my 150 bucks and I would go, and I would have this alarm going off in my body still. And I'd be thinking, well, why are my shoulders like this and uptight and why is my heart still racing? I understand that I've got to change my thinking, but there was this disconnect going on. Let me bring you back to Romans chapter 12, because we tend to focus on verse 2. Let me bring it into context and add into it verse 1. And this is what Paul says. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them, these, be a living and holy sacrifice 
the time that he will feel, feel, uh, find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. And then Paul goes on and says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So maybe one of the ways to help us with our mind monsters is not just top down, but maybe it's bottom up. And maybe there's a disconnect for you and I when it comes to this part where Paul says, offer your bodies, all of it, as a living sacrifice. Because this is what God takes delight in. That you and I daily would have a relationship and a posture with Him that says, God, here I am. Fill me from the inside out. Fill every part of my being. Don't just touch my mind, touch my heart. I think in the last three years since the COVID wave across the world, that in some ways it has forced the church or directed the church into such a cognitive place where we're trying to be stimulated with new theology and philosophies and people are spending so much time skimming and scrolling, trying to learn new stuff, that we're being stimulated in our minds but there's not a lot of impartation into our hearts. And so we become this heady church. That, was, it, was it Megan leading this morning? As Megan's up here strumming that guitar, about to break loose on the crowd. And she's saying, come on! Looking back at faces going, <sighs> our minds already at lunch. And Paul says, I plead, I mean that's pretty, pretty strong language, I plead with you to give your body. So when we come to worship God, this is not about a mind stimulation where we go, we're reading some words. This is about every part of our being, being involved in the worship of God. And I wonder as a church, if we stopped disassociating our our bodies from encountering God and focus less less on our mind being stimulated. I wonder what would happen with our thinking. I wonder if God designed us to actually be healed in our thinking from the bottom up, not just from the top down. Because when I was in my depression and sadness and anxiety, no matter what people told me to do and I knew it was right, there was a disconnect. And it wasn't until I went on a journey to understand, hang on a minute, that God wants to change you from the inside out. And when God gets access to those innermost parts of our life, when God starts to deal with some of the real issues that are causing us to think negative, when God starts to get into those areas of our own heart where we've harbored unforgiveness and God begins to gently, like playing fiddlesticks, begins to undo them, it is amazing how our thinking begins to get clarity. For me, when God started to deal with me about identity issues, 
Now remember, I lead a movement of churches and God's dealing with me about who I am in Christ and dealing with unresolved father issues and stuff like that. And God gently is just doing the, the fiddlesticks and uh, lifting one layer off and then another layer off. Let me tell you, the transformation that happened here that made its way up to here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Again, Paul says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You think about this. Your body is where God resides. God resides. You and I are walking temples for the presence of God. When you think about your heart rate, that it goes up when you're anxious or nervous or excited. It goes back down when, you, when you're regulated. You're created to breathe 12 to 16 times a minute. You don't have to think about it. It just automatically happens. That for your whole life, your amygdala has kept you safe by sounding an alarm to help you to avoid trouble. God is, you are a masterpiece in the way God made us. But... You can't think your way out of a feeling problem. Theologian Shelley Rambo, what a cool name. I'm Rambo, Shelley Rambo. <laughs> said this, she said, Our bodies are major prophets, not minor ones. Our bodies contain knowledge that often takes our rational minds hours, days, weeks, or even months to decipher. This is one of the reasons why attending to our bodies is so important. They are more than just meat suits. They are holy and consecrated temple, temples for God's Holy Spirit. So this morning, before I wrap up in the next few minutes, I, I want to give you one thought that really helped me. One takeaway, one piece of application that helped me begin this journey of discovering that God maybe wants to change me from the inside out. And it's simply this, a contemplative life. A contemplative life. Let me give you a definition of what a contemplative life is. It is simply an unhurried opening of oneself to God through silence, scripture, and self-examination. I'll read it again. A contemplative life is the unhurried, there's a problem right there, opening of oneself to God through silence, scripture, and self-examination. See, to contemplate on something is to be fixed. Fix your attention upon something. To be curious in a deliberate manner. Contemplation is what happens when you fall in love. It's what happens when you catch a beautiful sunset. We were made, you and I were designed to contemplate. But to do that, it's almost impossible to do it without a prolonged sense of attentiveness. Our pace must slow down, and this is really, really hard in a skimming and scrolling culture. In Psalm 132, verse 1 to 5, the psalmist is writing about King David, and he said this, Lord, remember David and all that he suffered. 
He made a solemn promise to the Lord. He vowed to the mighty one of Israel, I will not go home. I will not let myself rest. I will not let my eyes sleep, nor my eyelids, uh, or, or nor close my eyelids in slumber, until I find a place to build a house for the Lord, a sanctuary for the mighty one of Israel. David's determination to get the presence of God, the tabernacle, the ark, back to Jerusalem, it possessed him to get it back to the center of their worship. And so scripture says that he wouldn't go home, he wouldn't sleep, he wouldn't rest until he created this space. Now here's the deal, folks. You and I are walking temples, but with that same attitude and that contemplative life to say, God, I will not rest. I don't want to give up on creating a space for my God to reside. Not a space that's squeezed in between skimming and scrolling. Not a space that's squeezed in between soccer drop-off and, and work. Not a space that's squeezed in between one Sunday worship and the following Sunday worship. But God, I want this temple 24-7 to be filled with the presence of God. You want to fix your brain and the mind monsters? Get God to reside in your temple in a greater measure. Make a space, an unhurried space for him. And trust me on this, what is going on in the inside will make its way to the outside. You will talk different, you will, uh, your perspective will be different, your attitude will be different. Because you're different. Maybe the musos can come on up. In his book, How God Changes Your Brain, American neuroscientist Andrew Newberg uh, performed brain scans on, get this, Franciscan nuns, Buddhist practitioners, and Pentecostal believers from Highlands Church. They unfortunately didn't have it. Oh, no, no, don't say that. Pentecostal believers to see how their brains reacted to prayer. Listen to this. Intense, long-term contemplation of God and other spiritual values appears to permanently change the structure of those parts of the brain that control our moods, give rise to our conscious notions of self, and shape our sensory perceptions of the world. Contemplative practices strengthen a specific neurological circuit that generates peacefulness, social awareness, and compassion for others. In short, the obvious conclusion seems to be that practicing contemplation can permanently and positively change our lives and our world. Think about this. Not close. A contemplative lifestyle, not just a devotional time where we tick and flick, we're reading through a U version and nothing wrong with that. But I was doing that in the monks, in amongst my anxiety, my sadness, my depression, going through the list, reading scriptures, leaving, and not even remembering what I just read. So what's changed for me over these last three years? Simple things like, instead of me just coming in with a God, I've got a whole list of things I've got to pray for. I'll go into my room and I'll just sit there for five minutes. And I'll just allow what's going on inside of me 
I go, God, why am I anxious this morning? What did David say in the Psalms? Oh, my soul, why are you downcast? David, talk to God about well, what's going on in here. To take time when you read a verse of scripture and instead of looking at it thinking, I've got to get through to chapter three this morning to stay on check in my U version, tick and flick, just stopping on that piece and letting it read you. Letting it undo you a little bit. Letting change happen on the inside. When you say something and you, you get arced up over it, you get defensive over it. it. Happened to us last night, Kathy and I had a dinner. For no reason I said something that all night I'm laying there going, where did that come from? You bring it to God in a time of contemplative prayer and go, God, help me with this. It's still an issue. Come and touch me in this area of my heart. Let me tell you, a church that allows God to change them from the inside out, it will revolutionize your world. So let me read this verse one more time and then we close. Romans 12, 1 to 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is the truly, this is truly the way to worship him. This morning, I don't know where you're at. Don't know what's going on in your world. I've allowed you to see a little piece of mine. And I've got to tell you that still, I find that I've got to be proactive to keep some of these darkness away from my own heart. I can be prone to be a little bit negative at times. I can be prone to be, uh, as Kathy and I used to laugh at, I think Kathy called me at one day, Eeyore from Pooh Bear. <laughs> oh well, guess I should have expected it. I can be a little bit like that. And I find that I've got to continually, daily, be bringing this part of my heart to God to say, God, I'm still broken. I still need your grace. I still need you. I'm still presenting my body, my temple, as an act of worship to you. Fill me in here and change me from the inside out. And maybe you don't have that relationship with God this morning. Maybe this is all really, really new to you. Then I'd love to take this opportunity to pray for you. And I'm going to simply pray a prayer. And I'm going to ask us all just to close our eyes. I'm going to pray a prayer. And some of you may pray this for the first time. You may pray for the second or third time. But you're going to pray today from your heart. Not from your head, but from your being tonight, this morning. And then Murray will come up and let us know if that's you, what you need to do about that. But I, I want you to pray this. It can be out loud. It can be quiet, under your breath, doesn't really matter. Just say this, Jesus today, I give you my life. Every part of me, my mind and my body to hand over to you today. In Jesus' name. 
Thanks again for listening to the Highlands Highfields Message Podcast. We hope you feel encouraged to take these words with you to know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and to make a difference. If you feel moved by today's message and want to connect with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at highlands.highfields on Facebook or Instagram or head to highlandschurch.org.au for more resources and information. Be sure to follow the Highlands Highfields message podcast on your preferred platform to stay up to date with our latest message. We hope to see you in person soon.